Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Some big NFL news. Sean Payton finally takes a job in Denver with the Broncos. That was one that I wasn't sure was going to happen. Um, you know, I had a chance to uh, talk to some people close to Sean. I really thought that the way it was going, he might not take a job at all this year, that he would do broadcasting and maybe hope for a better collection of teams that needed head coaches a year from now. And it turns out that uh, after, you know, what's been, what, several weeks now, they they had to swing a deal with the New Orleans Saints first and foremost because the Saints own Peyton's rights. And that, that obviously slowed the process down a little bit. Pretty good deal, I think, for the Saints. Not the John Gruden deal of two ones, two twos, and $8 million. That's not going to happen again. But well, he's Saints not currently did. coaching. It's a little harder to get a coach yeah, who's currently right. coaching your team than one who retired. Th- that is correct. And that the one was a direct trade, and then this one is, is a guy that had, had been out a year. But nonetheless, they did recoup a uh, first-round pick for in this year's draft. They get a second-round pick in 2024, but have to send back their third-round pick in 2024. So, I mean, I think it's you know a fair deal. Listen, Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton are very close friends. Mickey was not going to hold him for ransom, so to speak, but he did get pretty good value, I think. And Sean Payton now goes to Denver. I was reading a, a column by Jeff Duncan, who does a really good job covering the Saints, and he talked to Sean Payton not long after that the news broke and not many people had. And one of the things Sean said was, and it, look, and they didn't talk about compensation for Sean, but I'm going to guess that when that contract comes out, that's going to be, I think you're going to see $100 million and maybe only four or five years next to it, maybe about $20, $25 million a year. We'll see. But aside from the financial windfall, which is enormous, uh, the thing that Payton said that attracted him to Denver uh, was that the fan base, he said, you know, football in the NFL really matters in Denver. Denver, of course, is a Broncos town. I mean, I know they got the Nuggets. They got the Stanley Cup champions, Colorado Avalanche. The Rockies don't really do very well. Their ownership is not that invested in spending money, and they, they're they in the NLS, so it's very difficult for them to compete. Great ballpark, though, by the way. So major sports city, major, you know, all the, all the major sports – and like I said, Stanley Cup champions and all that. But it is a Broncos town. It is first, foremost, and last. Um, they live and die with the Broncos. And so you have that rabid fan base. The thing that, that surprises me is that it's not a great situation um, from a football standpoint. Now, look, he's a really good play caller. And maybe if anyone can turn around, Russell Wilson, if he can be turned around at this age, it will probably be Sean. But they don't have draft picks now for several years right? Because he gave up a lot to Seattle for Russ. And of course, last year it was just just a complete failure. And so Russ will have to learn a new offense for the second year in a row at his age. Um, you could argue his skills might be a little in decline, but we don't know because we don't know that what you know Hackett was doing with him was really a good fit. So they do have some pieces though, and their defense is, is pretty dang good. I mean, their defense is, is, is you know, how dare I say, almost elite. So 
they'll be able to stay in games. But then you look at the AFC West, Steve, and it's like, really? You want to go up and get Mahomes twice, right? Um, you get, I mean, the Chargers, listen, Justin Herbert's one of the best quarterbacks, and he has a new offensive coordinator, you know, in, um, in uh, Moore from Dallas. And, you know, in the Raiders, we don't know what's going to happen to them. I mean, they're going to be in the, in the sweepstakes a little bit, I think, for Brady or Tom Brady. They, they made no pretense that they want him. They're kind of in a really bad spot with Derek Carr, who I think, you know, they'll have to guarantee like 40 or $50 million to by the middle of February, uh, or he's a free agent, and you would expect that to be the case. They haven't traded him, and they're not letting them seek trades. But still, that's a really tough division to be kind of, you know, starting your tenure there without um, – many draft picks in the next two years and with a quarterback that's let's face it he's, he's definitely you know uh you know heading towards the 18th fairway so i don't know i, I don't know that he was their first choice this is the other thing they interviewed everybody they really did and and i got just talking to people and i listen i don't know anything except the people that talk to me that are in the, the coaching realm or whatnot it really felt like jim harbaugh was their first pick I don't know how we got back to Sean Payton. I mean, Payton interviewed as soon as anybody could interview, right? Um, but somehow they got back to it, and of course Denver fired their coach, and so they they had the pick of the litter from from Jump Street. But it just it felt like you know Harbaugh. What'd you say they they went up to Ann Arbor and interviewed him recently? Well, the owner the was uh, was up in in Ann Arbor talking to Harbaugh last week. That was the reports, or is it earlier this yeah. week or last week? Yeah, the times running together, but after well yeah. after Harbaugh had said he's staying at Michigan, right, and was happy. Yeah, those there. talks never mm-hmm. stopped, mm-hmm. and it just it just felt like he was their target. He was the guy they wanted, and it, it got to some point where it's like, okay, we're gonna have to move to several other. And they interviewed a lot of guys, but we're gonna have to move several other candidates. Domingo Ryan's had pulled out because he's the other guy that got a job on Tuesday, he's going back to his uh, Houston Texans team that he played for all those years, what he called his dream job. And so D'Amico was also one of the people that the Houston Texans really, really liked. So they are not just the Texans, but the Denver Broncos really like. So they had a lot of people through there. And the one thing you can say, and, and, you know, the Walton family hasn't owned them very long, right? But they replaced the field. They, you know, it's clear to me that they want to win, and, and they are as rich as any owner in the NFL. I mean, they really do mean that. Like the you know, the Walmart money, the Walton family money is, is deep pockets, and so um, they don't, they're not bashful about spending it either. I mean, they, they want to be successful. They're new owners. And so I'm, I'm sure that um, you know, Peyton wants to take full advantage of that. But I'm just a little surprised. It really felt to me in some of the conversations I had with people around Peyton that you know what, there will be a better pool of teams a year from now, right? You could have the Dallas Cowboys, right, who, you know, Mike McCarthy is sort of going to take over the play calling, I suppose, um, and you would think that this is the last year that he's going to get a, a hall pass if they don't advance deep into the playoffs. You could have Seattle. I mean, Pete Carroll is, is you know, the oldest coach in the NFL. You could have New England, um, and you don't know what's going to happen with Bill O'Brien going there. You could have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers you know, um, with Todd Bowles. And, and so there's just a lot of jobs that are potentially available a year from now. Is the Pittsburgh Steelers, is Mike Tomlin going to keep coaching, right? What about that one? What about what about the New York Jets, you know, if, if they don't win? So it, it, it just felt like a better pool of teams. 
but uh, Peyton pulled the trigger, and now he's going out to uh, going out to Denver. And you know, the good thing there, and in, in reading the interview that he had with Jeff Duncan, was he says, "Look, I'm I'm happy it's the AFC. You know, like that made it easier um, for this to come together with the compensation that they had to give the Saints. I won't be, you know, in, in the NFC competing against them for a conference championship." So that was good. So there's a lot of, you know, boxes they had to check, but I'm still surprised. <laughs> I just uh, And look, I, I think they got a great coach. I mean, Peyton has been really, really, really good, and he's only won one Super Bowl, and he was with Drew Brees all those years, and so he knows the value of a good quarterback, and if you can hook yourself up with one, that's terrific. They're going to need a quarterback because Russ ain't going to play forever, and Russ has to play a lot better than he did a year from now. Um, but again, uh, you're, you're starting with a pretty good defense. They can run the football, um, and it's just going to be up to Sean to, to uh, you know, call some plays and get them schemed up. We'll get back into the NFL here in just a second, but first I want to remind you guys how to save money on your electric bill. It's called May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems for 12 years. Now, there's a lot of these companies out there, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. How long? Well, they guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That's what they call the May difference. If you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see exactly what they're going to install. And this is important. They don't use subcontractors. So all those people up there, those are Billy Mays guys on the roof doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar. Here's the number, 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. Lower your electric bill all year long. Preserve the quality of your appliances as well. That's May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862. Just a note on, again, thinking about D'Amico Ryans, they're obviously going to have a very high draft pick, um, not the highest draft pick because that belongs to the Bears, courtesy of Lovey Smith. It would have been a better deal for D'Amico, I'm sure. He's like, really? Really, Lovey? Um, and, and, and D'Amico, I think, got a long-term deal. I think he had like six years or something like that. And, and, and why not, right? Because this is a franchise that has now fired two African-American coaches after one season each. Not a great track record there uh, with the Houston Texans. But D'Amico is a former Texan himself. He called this his dream job, as we said earlier. Uh, and they are in a position um, to sort of rebuild that thing with lots of salary cap room. Plenty of draft picks, and so we'll see how quickly they can do that together. So what's left would be the Indianapolis Colts and the wild card that is Jim Irsay. Who knows? And I mean this. Who knows what he will do? They've had just about everybody in it for that job except me, um, and I don't know why they didn't call me. But I think he really still is intrigued uh, by Jeff Saturday continuing on with that thing. Uh, it obviously, it didn't go well for Saturday when he did take over, but you can't really blame him, you know, what he walked into uh, towards the end of the year. And if not him, there has been a cast of thousands. I mean, Raheem Morris has interviewed twice. I love Raheem. I think he'd be a great, great candidate. I hope he gets a job. Um, and, you know, also uh, uh, Rich Passaccia, somebody we know very well, um, the special teams coach for the Green Bay Packers, former Raiders inter- interim coach. Of course, he was here in Tampa Bay with John Gruden all those years. So there's there's a number of candidates that have kind of come through there and I don't. I would think that it would be sooner than later because, again, as each each job is filled, you're going to have fewer and fewer assistants available to that coach that you hire. So you don't want to hamstring your new head coach by having a smaller pool of assistants. And 
That's kind of what's going on, which leads us to the Buccaneers. I think they're nearing the end of this. You know, the, the Senior Bowl is this week, and the, typically, you know, your coaches will go up there and they will, you know, want to scout and also also talk to other coaches. I mean, it's one of the biggest coaching conventions that there is. And so, you know, they're going to get up there at some point this week, and I would think that it would be helpful if they had an offensive coordinator that, you know, could select, say, his quarterback's coach or, um, you know, running back's coach they need. They need, a, 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 I think, a, a receiver's coach. I mean, there's, a, there's almost a whole offensive staff. So this would be a good opportunity for that. Now, they concluded their interviews with Todd Munkin, who, of course, had the job here for three years under Dirk Cutter, called plays, I think, for one year of those three years in 2018. That was the year that Jameis was suspended the first three games. Fitzmagic happened. It was a, it was a magical time for about three or four weeks, and then, then it faded to black. But um, I, I you know, it went away quickly, and I, I think that you know, Cutter um, gave the play-calling duties to Munkin there at the end of his tenure and they produced, I mean, they had, they scored a lot of points. He scored a lot at Georgia, obviously more than 41 a game last season. Saw a note that somebody said, yeah, this would be a really top candidate, a really, you know, good candidate for the bucks for this job. Well, yeah, you think, I mean, he, he's the hottest, hottest offensive coordinator, in college football, highest paid as well, makes $2.1 million. And he's interviewed with the Ravens, who I saw were somebody else back for a second interview, which seemed a little odd to me because I would think if Todd was your first choice, you'd bring him back before someone else. But then again, Todd was, you know, interviewing with the Bucks on Tuesday. Also, they interviewed Giants quarterbacks coach Shea Tierney. This guy is interesting to me, and I will just tell you that there is something in particular uh, that the Bucks seem to have an, an affinity for for Shea, and his story is unique. Shea Tierney, I think we touched on it the other day, but he's a guy that, uh, you know, wasn't even a starting quarterback on his high school team, although he went to a very good high school. Uh, eventually hooked up with a scout that became the assistant athletic director for football at Alabama. Goes to Alabama. Brian Dayball is the offensive coordinator. Hooks up with Dayball, takes him to the Bills. Eventually takes him to the Giants. And that's where he is now. And he really helped Daniel Jones this past year. Cut down on turnovers. Daniel Jones, very mobile quarterback, obviously. Kyle Trask is not. Um, but there's been a lot of these guys that either played quarterback um, in the NFL, Ken Dorsey and some others, weren't great quarterbacks but have made terrific play callers. And, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about Shea to know, you know, just sort of like how he would – fit their needs in terms of philosophy, but we know the Giants ran the ball. I think they were fifth in the NFL in rushing yards. And so that's something that is near and dear to, you know, Todd Bowles' heart because they were last in the league in rushing a year ago. So that seems like a match. And and you know, for as much as you hear sometimes you hear chatter, sometimes you don't from one buck place about certain guys, but but this name has been has been brought up to me several times. So I'm I'm curious as to uh you know as as to what ultimately they're they're thinking there, but uh, it's it's one to keep in mind. And I think, like I said, th- this is probably going to be over sooner than later. We should have a pretty good idea who their coordinator is going to be, and they got some positions to replace, maybe possibly on defense too. But with with this with this Senior Bowl this week, this is the job convention. This is the job fair, 
You have all these displaced staffs. Believe me, most of these coaches will go to the Senior Bowl looking for work, looking to hook up with a head coach or an offensive coordinator. And um, I think the Bucks will be well served to maybe do this, I don't know, in the next couple of days. All right, we mentioned uh, last night that we were going to do some mailbag questions today. These are answered 100% correctly or your money back. Let's get started. All right, rooting for UF had tweeted us. He says, I have a salary cap scenario to pose. Suppose Tom Brady retires, which then helps the Bucks' cap numbers. The Bucks then move forward with roster moves that are at or near the cap limit when training camp starts. Brady then unretires. Are there cap implications? I'm going to have to get Mike Greenberg on here because if I say anything, he's going to he's going to text me one day and say, "What the hell was that?" I don't think you can rope a dope. I don't think you can retire one day uh, and then the Bucks, you know, recognize the savings of that uh, and then unretire and Eureka. Um, you know, things are better. Well, but if you a unretire, pre- you've got to sign him to a contract. He's not under contract. Correct. He's this a free agent. Money. So that, that's right. That if he retires and you're going to say, take, uh, what is it, 12 million this year or whatever it would be, dead money. You could take 12 million and then uh, 24 next year, I think. Right. Like that. So the yeah. 12 million dead money. So you're going to sign him to a contract, 25 mil, whatever it's that going dead to be. Money, that dead money is still there, and so is the 24 million next year. Now you but can. Based on how you sign you that contract, you that, can push that yeah. down the road. You can push. You could probably reduce. I don't know if you can reduce the eleven million. Maybe a little bit, depending on how many voidable years you you want mm-hmm. to add to the back end. Yep. Um, so yeah, you absolutely could lower your salary. You could do both. I don't think they're looking to do both. I don't think that's likely to happen. Um, but once they, you know, once they, first of all, I think you have to wait much longer to to actually put them on the retire list, retirement list. It may be as long as June first. Don't. I can't say something wrong because I'm 100% correct. But basically, um, he wouldn't go on the retire list right away, uh, and I think that that would enable them um, to you know to spread the money out over the next two years. And that's what they they seem like they're willing to do. I don't. I the one thing that Tom Brady has said this is kind of a, a kind of a fantasy you know question just to get us riled up and you've succeeded um, is that he said whatever I decide when I decide it right. And you would think that would be before free agency because he knows what that date is and he knows how important it is to players to come and play with him. But he said, this will be it. I'm not changing my mind. It won't be one of those things where, you know, 40 days later I go, wait, I wasn't serious. Easy to say, hard to do, maybe. But I really do believe he learned from that whole experience. And, you know, from a mental standpoint, if he if he pulls the plug on his career, he's going to Fox. These are all things he didn't know a year ago when he retired. He didn't have a TV deal. Um, he didn't have a, a situation with his kids, um, and, and he wasn't divorced. And, you know, so, so much has changed, but I really do believe that, that, uh, whatever his decision is this time, he's going to stick with it. And it just feels like, and I, several people close to him have told me that, you know, he's likely to play now. Does that mean he's playing? No. Does it, uh, does it mean he's decided? No, because he's giving himself this time to heal physically and to decompress, uh, mentally. And like we've compared it to marathons, you know, you just can't, you know, start thinking about running a marathon when you've just literally completed it and your body's sore and you get blisters all over your feet and, you know, you're not searching the the web to see what other marathon you can run tomorrow. So I think that's kind of where he's at. And, and there's a lot to figure out. He's going to have a lot of opportunity. We know that. We talked about that. You can read it in Tempe Times on Tempe.com. It is a story about how the Niners now, with Brock Purdy, we talked about this the other night, 
would seem to be at, uh, in a position to have to consider it. And they've considered it before, but you know, to me, things ch- things change so quickly that you know something you wouldn't have considered at the kickoff on Sunday now suddenly becomes something that you probably really should, you know, because that window is closing. And even though he'll be 46 and he's not 43, like you could have gotten him when he came out uh, as a free agent from the Patriots, just look at the quarterback position and where it stands right now with the 49ers and that team who has got some older players, you know, they just do. And that, that window's not going to stay open forever, but boy, oh boy, is it a, a, a good team now with the right quarterback who, by the way, is durable. I mean, so you're the 49ers and your problem is keeping quarterbacks healthy. Well, you know, a six foot four, 228 pound guy um, that hasn't missed a game since 2008 um, since he tore his ACL. So he knows how to protect himself. And, and that's what you need right now. You need a guy that can go wire to wire. You know, I don't know how far Brock Purdy would have taken him if he'd have stayed healthy. Maybe he goes to the Super Bowl. But if he does, is he going to win multiple Super Bowls? Is he that guy you're going to build around as a franchise quarterback? I don't know. I, I just don't know. And now with with the possible Tommy John uh, surgery and, and you know, the ruptured um, ulnar uh, ligament there, I, I just think it's hard hard to, you know, to bank on a guy that's a seventh-round pick. He had some limitations that, frankly, they were able to hide, you know. Um, one of that one of those is is his arm strength is not – there's a reason he was a seventh round pick. You know, this is not a guy that, that throws it with a ton of velocity now coming off an elbow injury. You wonder where that's going to be. So they need, if you want to, if you want to build a dynasty, if you want to have a team that's going to win more than one Super Bowl, you need a Patrick Mahomes, right? You need somebody with pedigree and you need a really good coach. Well, they got the good coach and they thought they had a guy in Garoppolo or Trey Lance who they traded all those picks for with pedigree, but it hasn't happened. So now, Here's a Tom Brady. Of course, good luck selling him on living that far away from his kids. And there's so much probably uh, hurt feelings about San Francisco, you know, passing over him so many times, going all the way back to the draft. But home is home. It's San Mateo. His family could watch him. All those things. We talked about a lot of it last night. But I, I just think that this has changed sort of the calculus for the 49ers. And, and I know – uh, that I'm pretty confident that they'll have to have those discussions again, maybe more so in earnest. All right, Tampa Bay 98ers tweeted, Sometimes we don't realize things right in front of our noses. Then it all seems so clear in retrospect. I wonder if there was more to Luke Gedeke playing the entire Atlanta game at right tackle. Didn't think twice at the time, but it could be exactly like the scenario you drew up last night. Well, it was an easy thing to do because – he is a right tackle or was one in college all those years. Um, it, you know, it wasn't quite like riding a bike. Uh, we asked him after the game, he said, well, you know, I sort of unlearned the right side and I'd been on the left side and I've been playing guard in guard and tackle or really different positions. So he didn't feel very comfortable out there. Not, not that he couldn't play Cause like I said, that was his position, but this is the national football league. They really like Luke Gedeke and I don't, I don't know what his upside is. I don't know if, if this translates to the to the offensive line position, but there's a guy that may make the Hall of Fame this year, and Ronnie Barber, that was the worst rookie I've ever seen at any position. So, you know, before you just write off Gedeke because of the poor, you know, start he had in six games that he played before he got hurt and they replaced him, um, and, and, yeah, quite possibly he has the ability to play tackle. 
maybe that is their solution, right? Maybe that's maybe they move Tristan Wirfs. The more I think about it, I don't. I'm not one that that wants to potentially weaken a guy if he's the the best in in at his position in the league. Like he's absolutely the best player at that position. A year ago, he's all pro. For somebody who is maybe not as good, if he moves to left tackle, maybe better than Donovan Smith, and who knows, maybe even a Pro Bowler. But um, and then I have to go find a right tackle on top of it. I'm not; it's it's almost impossible to find one as good as Tristan Wirfs. So I'm kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit. But I also can see where that might be an easier fix, right? It might be easier if you can't draft a left tackle. You know where they're picking 19th overall. You you could probably find some guys that play on the right tackle side, and and, and it's only because most quarterbacks, of course, are right-handed, so that's their blind side, the left tackle spot. You usually get the best athlete that's the edge rusher on that side, and so you need a very athletic um, guy with good feet and power that can play left tackle. And then the right tackle spot has always been more of a run thumper, right? Where where you're going to run the ball a lot that way. Um, and so, you know, it's a little different position. And, and the quarterback can also see if you get beat off the edge right away, he can throw that thing away. So in hindsight, maybe that is the plan. You know, I've I'm, I'm not heard it stated to me that way, but it's certainly an option because I just think they have a rare, rare athlete in Tristan Wirfs that has just got the greatest feet in the world, greatest attitude in the world. And if anyone could do it, he could. So maybe Gedeke can somehow find his way back to right tackle. I just know that they're not done with Luke Gedeke. I mean, he, he is a guy that's going to be in the mix, and then you still have Robert Hainsey. If Ryan Jensen comes back, Hainsey will be in the mix for that guard spot as well. So maybe you can maybe you can you know do both. I mean, if Hainsey play the guard position and, and kick Luke out to right tackle, and uh, you know quite possibly Tristan Worst plays left tackle, and you go. It's not the worst idea, and and the idea will be to try to get your best five offensive linemen on the field in some combination. From Pop Warner on up, that's all they're trying to do. How can we get our best five offensive linemen on the field together? It's not always easy to do, um, but especially at the NFL level, but I think that 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 will be their job number one, and maybe it becomes easier if, in fact, they do take, um, you know, one of the better – right tackles or left tackles in the draft somewhere when they pick 19th overall. All right, Kyle tweeted. He says, hearing you discuss the rules with the NFL and how many quarterbacks can be active each game, why doesn't the NFL just allow all 53 players to be active every game? It's a contact sport. Guys get hurt each week. Why not just let everyone be active? Well, this is one of those things that you know was negotiated in the collective bargaining agreement, and really what it comes down to is the teams just said, you know, when they had the inactive third quarterbacks, look, just give it, we want, you know, it was a little like what the call, what, what the question is. It was, let us decide, you know, let us decide if one week we need extra help at receiver or we need a running back or we need a gunner or we need, you know, somebody else to play a different position and not just, you know, designate a quarterback to be the inactive third guy. Um, we'd rather just, you know, we want three quarterbacks. We'll carry them. You know, we'll carry them. We'll make them all active. We think we need them, but but let's be honest. Almost always, you don't use three quarterbacks in a game, right? Very rare to see two guys injured in the same game, much less in the NFC Championship, which was tragic. Okay, I would say at least have three quarterbacks up for the playoff games, all of them, if you're not going to do it during the regular season. Another part of this is 
what is the roster limit, right? How many are we going to make active each Sunday? Or how many can we choose from? You know, they've expanded now the practice squads, and there's a bunch of new rules about elevating them and how many times you can elevate veterans. Used to be veterans weren't on the practice squad. Now they are. Um, after the third time, you have to put them on the on the 53-man roster, all of that. But they're trying. this is all about competitive balance, you know. So if – and I can always activate guys from the practice squad to get to 53. It's not the number that, that's – that's a problem. The idea is, is that after week one, you're going to have injuries. You know, that's what the inactive list is really for. It's, it's mostly for guys that are going to be hurt. And so, you know, if one team doesn't have any injuries to their 53 and one team has seven guys that are nicked up, the competitive balance shifts a little bit. Um, but I think with the practice squad has kind of mitigated that because now you have veteran players, it's not just rookies and undrafted guys and such. So maybe they'll discuss that. I'm not really sure uh, whether that's going to be on the table or not. But I think what will be on the table is going back to the idea of we can dress three quarterbacks. And the rule always was that if you know you were to use that third quarterback, the, the guy that is out of the game cannot, cannot return. And you can't use anybody else either. So that's, you know, once he's in the game – that's that's going to be your last quarterback. But you're not going to use them typically until you get two guys hurt anyway, so it all makes sense. I just think you can't have that product again, especially in the postseason. They do some rules that are different in the postseason than the regular season, like the overtime rule, where now if you're in the postseason, both teams will get the ball regardless of whether one scores a touchdown or not. Um, this seems to me like even if you just wanted to limit it to, to the postseason and have three quarterbacks up, that that would make sense. It doesn't mean that you know, Josh Johnson, if he didn't get hurt, was going to win the game. Or if they had a third quarterback, he was going to come in and win the game. Because quite frankly, you're kind of screwed at that point. You know, these guys have not taken first team reps, um, you know, all of that. And, and I mean, in fairness to Josh, he just hadn't been there long enough to really play that much football. Now, you know, some other team might have a guy that's there all, all year that's up up to date on everything. Maybe he'd have a little better chance. But I do think you can't have a situation where – they're doing direct snaps to a running back in an NFC championship game. That's got to be fixed, and I, I suspect what they'll do is add the third quarterback. All right, Garrett tweeted. He said, two-part question. How are NFL referee, playoff referee crews assembled, and are the staffs the same as in the regular season, or are they a hodgepodge of individuals from multiple staffs? I agree full-time referees should happen in the NFL, but would making full staffs eligible for postseason help the mistakes too? This would be one that I need to check, but I think I'm right about this. They keep the staffs together. Um, the crew, you have a crew chief, and and you know they pick the crews in in the in the postseason. That may not be the case in the Super Bowl. Um, I'd have to check that, but I think and I think I'm right about um, the rest of it. And it's because these guys are used to working together, and you can evaluate them together versus, hey, let's take a field judge from this guy's staff, uh, you know, a line judge from this guy's staff. And there is some, you know, coordination from a team standpoint if, if you're a group of officials that work together, and that generally produces better results as opposed to saying, okay, this week you're working with this referee and this line judge, and next week you're working with that back judge and so on. Um, I, I, just, I, I just didn't think refer- – the officiating was that good. I think there were factors in both games. I don't think they were good for either team. 
and and we've all said this for years and years. It's like, how can this sport that makes the billions of dollars that they make, you think about the NHL, they have their own referees full-time. You think about Major League Baseball, they have their own umpires full-time. Um, you think about the NBA. How How is it that the NFL, which makes more money than anybody, decides that, you know what, we'll take that insurance salesman that you know is doing it at State Farm or someplace, and I'm not talking about that because they're a sponsor, but, you know, um, and, you know, he's got his own agency or whatever Monday through Friday, but then on, on Sunday, you know, we're going to have him be one of our top referees each week. I, I just think you need to go to a full-time, a full-time, you know, staff. And, but then that, you know, your unions will come into play. I'm sure the referees, are, there's all kinds of, you know, financial strife with that. I'm sure that the NFL is trying to avoid um, but I just think it makes sense, you know, um, why wouldn't you do it? I guess it's, it's just purely financial. I would imagine that's the only reason I can think of why you'd be reticent, reticent to do that. But, um, look, they got a hard job. This is the other thing too, that I think people forget is that these guys are moving faster. They're bigger than they've ever been. And, you know, it's easy when you're at home on TV and you have benefit of the replay or maybe you see it in real time. Maybe you're closer to the play with a camera than the, the actual official would be on the field. I mean, there's a lot of things that we see on TV that aren't as perceptible when you're down uh, at field level. I used to be able to go down there during games. Now they restrict us. And let me tell you, it the only way I can describe it, and to play quarterback, by the way, I have no idea what they see. It's just colors, man. It's just colors flashing around. It it is it is truly the speed of that game and the violence. It is like standing in the middle of I two seventy five during rush hour. I, that's just all I can compare it to. And you're just waiting for a collision, but it is moving fast. And if it's moving that fast, and things are happening to where you know we have these super slow replays to see if a ball ever touched the ground or whatnot, you can't expect these guys to get everything right. They're just it's impossible. These these athletes are too big, too strong, too fast. And it's really difficult, you know, the speed of the game has made it harder, which is why replay exists. And everybody hates it because it slows things down and, and changes the course of uh, of a lot of plays. But I, I just think that, you know, it's 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 here to stay and, and, and referees are going to do the best they can. And, you know, it's part of sports. Like there used to be the old adage when you played, don't put it in the ref's hands. You know, be better than that. Like don't let one call beat you. You have an opportunity for 60 minutes to, you know, to pull away, to not make it close, to not make it where if you hit a guy out of bounds and it's a judgment call and you don't get the call, you move the the, the ball in field goal range and he makes the field goal. You know, like Osai was over there crying his eyes out. But in reality, there was probably six, 60, 75 plays before that that could have changed the game and not put him in that position. Same thing with, with bad bad officiating. You don't want it. But that's part of sport. Part of sport is being so good um, that you're not going to let an umpire or a referee decide it. And, you know, as long as there's a human element, which I like, you know, I, I mean, this isn't tennis where you have Cyclops trying to decide if the ball is in or out, although I think they could use that very same technology instead of two old guys with sticks that seem to break every Sunday, uh, whether we have a first down or not. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's imperfect science. And, Part of the part of the thing is just you just gotta be better than that. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, we got a raise question. And, you know, we didn't mention uh, last Friday, Pete Fairbanks signed a three-year extension with the Rays. And then on Tuesday, Yandy Diaz signs a three-year extension. Both those guys avoid arbitration but as mark topkin explained last week and and wrote about Mm -hmm. the Tampa Bay times of why they're locking guys up long term um Mm -hmm. and and spending some money maybe money they don't have yet but um the spending but the raise question from mike was how is it that the rays have been so good for so long at personnel evaluation when other clubs keep hiring away their people is it that there there's an approach they teach or they're just that good at hiring talent evaluators too well, I, I don't think I, I think it can be both. I don't think it's mutually exclusive. Um, I also think that a lot of the people they hire are brought up in the Rays' way, right? They're taught mm-hmm. um, some of those things. They're, they're given the book of secrets. Whereas, <laughs> you know, you, you become president of the United States and you have all these the book of secrets wherever that is, and he can tell you where the UFO really was in Area Fifty Four. Whatever. Yeah, I think I saw them in uh, National Treasures, and at the Library of Congress, <laughs> something like that. Um, no, but seriously, they, you know, the Rays have, from their onset, you know, had analytics, been big on the analytics side of things mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the money ball side of things and, you know, looking at players a different way and, and evaluating guys a different way and having them do one thing that they do well or maybe do more of something or less of something that they don't do well. And this has just sort of been their formula. And I think you're brought up in that. I mean, a lot of these guys that are working with the Rays now – in these positions, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, these guys have been promoted from within. Well, like Eric Neander started as an intern. That's correct. I and mean, a lot of the Peter Bendix, I believe, did too. Um, a lot of those right. guys did. I uh, think you're right. And so they were hired early. Now people saw the talent that they had, mm-hmm. but they learned, um, you know, from, you know, the Matt Silvermans and, and you know, those guys. And so I, I think it's I think it's an organizational development if you will i think there's a lot of we talk about culture Mm -hmm. and it's not just it's not just a clubhouse but it's an organization it's throughout the minor leagues it's you know they they teach these guys from when you get to rookie ball and -hmm. when you're signing you know the the raise way and and you know you're going to be you know pinch hit for sometimes when you don't think you are and you're going to come off the bench more often than you'd like and you know we're going to use every resource we can to win a game and, and they, they and teach how, that and the from, kind of players they mm-hmm. the kind of players they look for. Sorry to interrupt you. The kind mm-hmm. of players they look for are guys that can play multiple positions, right? That can that are athletic, that can mm-hmm. run, um, and that they can you know mix and match based on injuries or or you know mm-hmm. matchups and 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 lineups and defensive changes. You know, they're just all of that is is part of their drafting. It's it's it runs all the way through the organization. And I think it's I think they also. And good teams and and ones that have a culture like this generally do. They look at the talent, they look at your skills, they look at what you can do, but it's also your personality and your, you know, yeah. are you going to buy into this? Are, yeah. are you know, or are you one that, you know, there are some guys around the league that do not like what the Rays do. 
they've been vocal. They're that, players, etc. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they want they're going to find guys that it, it's about team. It's about doing whatever it takes to 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 succeed and win as a team and personally. I mean, it, it goes. They do go hand in hand. Some, but mm-hmm. you know that that's the type of guys they're looking for. I think when they when they look at drafting or signing international players, but also when they're looking at you know, free agents to sign and that, it, it, that's a big part of it. And it's, you know, finding guys that will fit in that culture too to keep to keep that culture going. Um, and I think they've done an extremely good job at that. Um, I think that the teams that have long-term success, there's generally that, that cohesiveness of the types of individuals you find. I mean, there's all different skills and, and you know, how you throw and this, and, and there's that. There's all that in the analytics part, but – the personality part of it has to work too. Yeah, I think culture is a, is a good word. And, and and I think the guy that the buy-in falls in the most with is Kevin Cash, is the manager. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy. You know, it's hard to get that many players to get along or live with each other for as long as they do. And, and baseball is such a grind. And, you know, the Rays probably use more players than most. Um, they always said, you know, they're 45 or better than you're 25, and that's how they win. But, I, you know, how do you convince a guy that's lights out right as a, as a starter to go to the bullpen, you know, or that was a closer to pitch to open games? Um, you know, I mean, they, they just have a way of selling it. And it's not always – I don't think it's always an easy sell. I But I think that Cash and those guys, especially Kevin, has done just a terrific job of, mm-hmm. you know, creating or tapping into that culture where – Hey, we're doing everything we can to win, and 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 it's not about one guy. It's it's about all of us, and you know we're all going to sacrifice. And you know what? One game you might be leading off, one game you might be batting ninth. You know, um, you may not play for three or four days. That might be your role, but the the bullpen and especially the pitching staff, the way they the way they you know move guys around in different situations and high leverage, and you're a starter. You're, you know now you're in the bullpen, like. That's that buy-in's got to be tough, man. That's got to be tough as a player. It, it, well, for some it is, and I, and I think mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of, particularly on the pitching side, there's a lot of pitchers that probably would never sign here because of that. Right, because of it. Yeah, you know, some can't handle that. I don't know what I'm doing day in and day out. Uh, I'm a starter. Yeah. you know, like I'm a starter. Mm-hmm. Or I'm a, I'm a closer. You know, other guys may relish it and and love that. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? It's not a mundane routine of this. You know that. Maybe I start today. Maybe tomorrow I'm pitching the seventh inning. Then I'll be in yeah. the fifth, and then the, the ninth the next game. I mean, and, and they give opportunity. You know, the other part mm-hmm. is that they offer opportunity to guys. Some obviously mm-hmm. some players that other teams haven't really well regarded. But also, look at Jeffrey Springs. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy started in the bullpen. It's like you know what? I think he'd be a starter. He'd be a really good left hand starter. Boom. You know, he's got a, 60, a, a potential works. sixty-five million dollar contract if he hits all the incentives. Yeah, and the option right. gets picked up. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, so they're open-minded about it. They're open-minded, and I think their players are. And, and and the other thing I think they do as well as anybody is, and I think players see this, and that's why they buy in. They put you in a position to succeed. Like if you're not ready for. Uh, certain roles they're not going to put you there it, and it, but it's never to say never if they right. don't think you're ready to close a game in the ninth inning they're not going to put you there 
That's right. But when they do put you there, you're not exclusively that, so it takes a little of the pressure off of it too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're very good at, you know, okay, you don't hit left-handed hitters very well. We're not going to put you up there against many lefties. That's right. You know, but when there's select ones and we need it or there's, you know, left-handed pitchers we think you can hit well, we'll put you there. You know, that's right. They they just they don't the matchups are going to favor you. They're going to put yeah. you in the, in the good, you know, if you if you're wearing a guy out or you he throws a certain pitch that that you can handle better than the next guy, they're going to lift him and put you up there, mm-hmm. you know. And and I think that's huge. We've seen we've seen it. We've seen guy, we've seen guy with a rag up. I'm going to draw a blank on on the names right now. Um but we've seen guys come in here and hit 300 and you're like, "Well, why didn't he play every day?" He only plays against left-handers. Well, yeah, because that's where he wears out, which is why he's having such a good year, because they're only playing him against left-handers. And you're like, I don't see why he didn't play all the time. He's hitting over 300. Yeah. And it's sort of, a, you know what I mean? Like, they, they've kind of created that. And then him. they go get a big contract somewhere else and don't hit 300. It's That's right. And then you're like, what happened to him? <laughs> well, now they're playing him every day. Yeah. So, you know, you you can be a victim of your own success at times. But I think... I think that's what they do really, really well. It's it's a great question, but um, I mean, and, and the one thing, the, the the thing about this year, and and there's no one getting around it. And Neander said they 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 were looking for a bat, and and you can sign all these pitchers you want, and and it's good. I think Yandy Diaz is a great player to extend, and he's everything you want in a Ray, and and he's factored into so many of their wins. And he does so many things for you. But they just didn't get a bat, man. <laughs> it's just 24 innings and one run in the playoffs is never going to cut it. And they really are counting on some health and some bounce back. They really are. It's about bounce back. This mm-hmm. year, you know, it has to be that. If it if it doesn't happen or these guys get hurt again, if Wando Franco can't play, you know, 140 games, if, you know, if you can't get – um, what you need out of Brandon Lau um, and Manuel Margot and, and yeah and Margot yeah it's not going to be a good year I mean and, and that's not to say they won't go out and, and trade players and, mm-hmm. and rip it up and find guys in midstream we've seen them do it but they really are having to bank more than ever this year on guys just fulfilling that potential that they know they have and tapping into it and they need it all to go right they really do they need some luck sometimes you just need luck and you guys stay healthy um, but you also need guys to bounce back. And there's a lot of bounce back to this team this year. All right, we got time for some more questions tomorrow. We didn't get to all of them. If you've got some, you can send them in at any time. Anytime we do a podcast, actually, or, or seven days a week. It's uh, Sports Day TB on Twitter. Just send them there, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'll do some more of the mailbag, more Bucks news, I'm sure. I think they're... Kind of be closing in on an offensive coordinator here in the next few days, I would suspect, especially with the Senior Bowl going on. So plenty to talk about when we uh, join you tomorrow on the podcast. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm-hmm.